Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. I'm Tim Grady, and I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and you are going to be pleased that you tuned into this show today because we're going to be talking about the M&A market in manufacturing and really what's happening with selling your company because so many people who have started a company and run it for 30, 40, 50 years are of an age that they want to sell it or merge it with another entity. So today is going to be a great learning experience for them, Lou. Yes, uh, I I had uh, a a discussion with uh, our guest, Fran Brunel, a couple of days ago, and uh, really it's interesting, and I might wind up having a conversation with her about the topic that she's talking about. So why don't we (laughs) get this going and uh, see, uh, you know, where, where the dollars lie. All right, and uh, Fran is president of Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers. So, Fran, I'm going to let you tell our listeners a little bit about your company, what you do, and uh, then we'll start to get into some of the discussion points. Sure. Well, Lou and Tim, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to be with you. So Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers uh, is a company that specializes in the sale of manufacturing companies nationwide. Generally, we deal with companies in the lower middle market. We sell companies whose revenues are generally between 2 and $20 million and have at least a half a million dollars in net revenue. Uh, we've been servicing the manufacturing community for 25 years. Oh, that's great stuff. And and there's some interesting points that you have brought up that we want to talk about. Lou may have talked to you about them in the uh, uh, kind of the pre-show conversation he has with our guests. Um, what's interesting to me is your comment about what makes manufacturers successful and also makes them easy to sell. Oh, that's great. Yes. So um, many aspects um, – that manufacturers should strive for that help to make them successful also make them very easy to sell. One of the number one things that buyers look for when seeking a manufacturing acquisition is that the company not be thoroughly dependent upon the seller. So there's a layer of management in place that can do the core functions in the business. Also, having standard operating procedures, having these things well documented, um, all of this helps a manufacturing company to operate on a day-to-day basis successfully without wearing out its owner, but it also makes it very easy to sell them. Um, Other things that buyers look for in the process is a company that has... um, Uh, an appropriate uh, customer concentration, an appropriate um, sector concentration. Um, uh, There's a danger point if uh, um, all of the company's income is 
focused on one or two customers. In fact, those businesses become very difficult to sell. Um, and part of that is the buyer can't get financing. Lenders look at that as a danger point. Uh, now, you made an interesting point. You know, this month, every October, the first Friday in every October, is called Manufacturing Day. And so um, this October, again, we'll have Manufacturing Day, and Manufacturing Talk Radio has been involved with Manufacturing Day, I think, Lou, since it was declared an event by the yeah. federal government. Correct. Correct. We have been. So we, we have been involved in many of those. But, uh, Fran, you're saying uh, why the goal of Manufacturing Day needs to change, and I think originally it was intended to um, educate uh, the millennials about manufacturing and it wasn't dark, dirty, and dangerous and it was a pretty cool place to be. Uh, what do you think is the goal that needs to change? Sure. So Manufacturing Day, first of all, I think it should be Manufacturing Month, as important as manufacturing is to our national economy. But it, and, and the purpose of it, to attract the younger generation into the industry, that's a great and honorable thing. However, the workers that Manufacturing Day is attracting into the industry today will not be prepared to take the helm of the companies for which manufacturers are retiring. So there's a, there's a big gap there. Um, manufacturers are retiring in record numbers, and these these young people coming in, that's great, but they're not going to have the skill set to run a company, and that puts manufacturing across our nation in danger, and as a result, our entire economy. Oh, well, it's interesting. It's interesting you mentioned this uh, <clears throat> in the course of our conversation. It was this morning that I uh, went to an event. Uh, I'm on the advisory uh, board of an organization called Virtual Enterprise International, which is a, an organization that um, teaches in high school um, entrepreneurship as a career. And uh, this, this is in the state of New Jersey. Uh, there's a thousand high schools in New Jersey, and there's about, I don't know, 50 high schools that are involved in this program that are teaching kids that, aside from going to college, which you can still go to do, but they teach over a two year course how to become an entrepreneur. And that's, that's really uh, a, a difficult thing to learn. Um, and uh, it was uh, very uh, exciting to be involved in that. And that's what students need to now uh, learn about, aside from the skills that you need. But if you want to ultimately be in your own business, no one is teaching you how to go into your own business. It's all by accident or um, by, mostly by accident. That's how I got into it. Um, sure. And uh, it sure would have been helpful if I went to, when I was at high school that they had a course on how to create a business plan, how to uh, uh, engage people in your company to uh, be consultive on how to do this. So it's real. It was really quite exciting. 
Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And, you know, every high school should have this. Quite frankly, people, young people are coming out of college, and they, they're they not prepared, even with a business degree, to, to run a business, read a balance sheet, understand the risks of customer concentration, how to find financing when they need it. So, yes, business and entrepreneurship should be um, taught throughout our high schools. Absolutely. Listen, and part by the of way, why what's, there's a school... what's a balance sheet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's a joke. It's a yeah. joke. <laughs> you, part of why there's a skills gap is that, you know, think about all of the high schools um, if in New Jersey where you are, Lou, and throughout our country, mm-hmm. um, right. th- that uh, the educational system has gotten rid of the shop classes and um you know throughout the nation manufacturing was spoken of um as not something to be pursued uh and that's why we have a skills gap the other day you and I had a had a conversation about um as buyers come in looking at a manufacturing company um and they walk through the shop floor one of the things that they're looking for is to make sure that all of the workers don't have the same color hair you do, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> you know, That's true. It, That's having true. an aging workforce is a, is a danger spot for an acquirer. So back to our original subject of, you know, what makes a manufacturer successful also makes them easy to sell. Um, manufacturers who are taking proactive action to address the skills gap um, are more successful. They have a pipeline of young people coming in, um, and it makes them easier to sell. So, Fran, uh, what's the current state of the manufacturing M&A marketplace? I mean, what's selling and why? So manufacturing, um, the manufacturing M&A market right now as we speak is hotter than hot. So the Market Pulse report um, done by Pepperdine University and the Graziata School of Business out there, they track my industry quarterly. And for the last few years, with the exception of only a few quarters, Manufacturing has been the most sought-after industry um, in the M&A market. Um, so it's we are as a result of that we're we are truly in a seller's market right now. However, there's trouble brewing as manufacturers continue to retire in record numbers. Eventually, there'll be a tipping point where the market is flooded with businesses. Right now, you have a situation where you have more quality, qualified buyers than businesses to show them. But we're going to reach a tipping point where there's more businesses on the market, and that means buyers have choice. Um, And so that's why many people um, that are approaching retirement um, in the manufacturing sector are looking at now, especially with the recent tax reforms. And I imagine, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Lou's favorite subject 
tariffs is having an <laughs> impact on uh, income statements and balance sheets and is kind of uh, muddying up the market. You know, it's it's very interesting. Um, so traveling nationally, nationally, talking to manufacturers, yes, they're experiencing issues with with tariffs. Um, one of the questions in the most recent uh, completed Market Pulse report um, asked the question as to whether or not this was affecting buyers' decisions to acquire the manufacturing companies, um, and the overwhelming response was no. Um, and I think that has to do, Lou, not so much with that the tariffs aren't having an effect, but it has to do with the fact that manufacturing, even though we've seen a little bit of a slowdown in the last month or so, um, is still such a sought-after sector for acquisition and returning such wonderful returns on investment. So it, it's right now it's not affecting buyers' decisions. Will we get to a point where it will? Yes, possibly. So uh – in terms of, you know, I'm a manufacturer. I've been running my business for 40 years. I feel like I should sell it. How do I prepare it? Uh, what do I need to put together so you know, I get the highest price possible? Obviously, that's my objective. But what should I be doing, Fran? So that's a great question. Most people approach this process without preparation. They have no idea no understanding of the documents that they're going to have to produce, how long the process takes. Um, many people wait until they're ready to really pull back and be in retirement to put their business on the market, not understanding that it's, it usually takes up to a year to successfully sell a manufacturing business, to find the right person, the right acquirer. And then after that, there is a period of time where manufacturers will have to um, help to transition the, the company, and that could be up to a year. So if you're waiting to the point where you're so tired that you just don't want to work anymore um, <laughs> or you want to be on the beach somewhere, um, you know, you, you may have waited a little bit beyond the point where you should have as far as what is needed um, you need to be prepared um, to show a minimum of three years of tax returns, three years of financial statements. Um, you need to be able to speak to your sales by customer, sales by sector. Um, we have an extensive questionnaire uh, that we give to potential clients. And I warn, that, I warn them in advance that it's a little bit like root canal, but it's designed <laughs> to give us a, it's designed to give us a good snapshot of a business. And what we're doing is we're asking up front every question that an intelligent, qualified buyer is going to ask. Um, now, as far as the release of that information. We are very, very careful to protect our clients' confidentiality. Many times, well, almost every time, the disclosure uh, that a manufacturer is for sale to his competitors, his employees, um, 
his suppliers could spell trouble for him. So right. uh, information is disclosed very gradually, and it's disclosed only after we have fully financially and professionally vetted a potential buyer. So we know, we basically know everything about them before we're disclosing who our client is. So let me bring up uh, two points, Fran. One is, mm -hmm. um, first of all, what is your uh, contact information, your URL, so that those who are listening could uh, reach out and contact you? And then I'll ask my second point. Oh, sure. Thanks for asking that, Lou. Sure. So our uh, website is acceleratedmfgbrokers.com, and people okay. can reach me uh, by emailing fran at acceleratedmfgbrokers.com. Okay, great. Now, my other point is, and I, I have uh, my All Metals and Forge group, company has been, uh, I think it's uh, four and a half decades or something like that. And I, I've talked about uh, M&A in regards to the company. And one of the things that keeps coming up was from the broker side. So uh, who do you have that's going to, quote unquote, be in the uh, driver's seat running the company? Who in the company is going to be doing the marketing? Who in the company is going to be the uh, sales uh, director? The point being that you, it, it can't be you anymore. You're the one who's planning to vacate, uh, either mm -hmm. feet first or, 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 <laughs> or whatever. I don't want to get into that. Hopefully uh, not. So, <laughs> hopefully not. And so how do you – this is all part of the preparation for the sale of your company. You have to have people in the right place to take over the responsibilities that have made your company what it is and made it sellable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so sure, the, absolutely. The question is what do you have to do about that in anticipation? Mm -hmm. You mentioned it takes a year to prepare. Well, it might take actually – more than a year, would it not? Oh, what you're talking about, having systems and people in place, um, can take several years. When I say it takes a year, that's a year from you're, you're engaging with an M&A professional to you're sitting at a closing mm -hmm. table receiving your money. Generally speaking, that's you can count on that being about a year's time. But as far as preparing for the process, I would argue that it's a, a lifelong process in, in the life of an entrepreneur. We should all, as business owners, be on a path of continual improvement. And, you know, for founder-led companies, I know myself, I sometimes have time, uh, trouble letting go of things, as do almost every manufacturer I've ever met, right? But it's <laughs> necessary to put... Um, we all have to stop being little control freaks, basically. Um, you have to learn to delegate. You have to have your business as a manufacturer should be able to run with you not there for a month. And if it can't, you're going to get less money when you sell your business. 
just as a point of information, I recently had to have an operation, and I was out for three months. And guess what? Wow. The company, the company ran, and it ran well, and everybody did their job. But it freaked me out. I had <laughs> never been, I've never been out of my company for more than two weeks. I think the yeah. longest was maybe three weeks to a trip to China. But three months, boy, it was uh, – and, and it also gave a new dimension to marital relations also. But that's another <laughs> that's another show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so as entrepreneurs, being out of our business equals most times being out of our comfort zone. Um, mm. But I, I sincerely compliment you that you were able to be out of your company for that long, and it ran and it thrived. That means you have done. Um, all of these things that we're talking about today, you've built an organization that can survive your absence, and that that will make it easy to sell when the time comes. And it's so again for a, entrepreneurs, it's so hard to let go. It's it's an a, there's an emotional attachment. It's like walking away from your child. So can I use that as a selling point that I was out of the business <laughs> for three months and everybody ran. And did what they had to do? Is that a good point? Oh, my gosh, that's a wonderful point. I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> we sold uh, we sold a pump and valve repair company up in New England a few years back. And um, the founder, uh, and this is funny because you talked about, um, uh, you know, your spousal relationship and, and what happens when you're when you're at home and not um, you know involved in your company? Well, this couple on the approach to retirement, um, he said, "Okay, we're going to take our giant motorhome and we're going to go on a cross country trip for three months. <laughs> and if we don't kill each other, I think I'm ready to retire." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they may, both may go out for the three month trip and. One may return. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, it, well it was sometimes I will tell you too. Sometimes what happens? Um, we we remain friends with a, many most of the people that whose businesses we sell, and oftentimes a few months after the sale um, or a few months after they've completed their transition uh, service requirement with an acquiring entity, um, they'll call me up and say, um, hey, can I, I, I'm going crazy. My honey-do list at home is over <laughs> the top, and you need to find something else for me to do, Fran. <laughs> can I buy a company, please? <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Well, my wife, my, my wife keeps asking me, when am I planning to retire? And I said, retire? What's that? Well, you know what? Retirement can look different for different people, right? A lot of people can... Um, gradually pull back, it, uh, like Lou, so you have clearly set up an organization that can survive your absence. And you may choose to be there because you, you love the work, um, but it's different than have to be there. 
that this you, is true. You get what I'm saying? Yes, I yeah. do. I do. And I'm yeah. sure there are many of our listeners who are going through and, and wringing their hands at some of the comments that we're making. Those who they don't <laughs> want to leave or they can't leave or should I leave? Right. Should I go home and spend 24-7 with the wife? I mean, these are all issues that you have to answer, sometimes privately to yourself, before you mm-hmm. can make those decisions. That is true, and I'll tell you what, the people that are the happiest and the healthiest in retirement are people who find a way to be of service. A few years back for Manufacturing Day, um, we sponsored an Engineers Without Borders unit at a Boston University. And so in that process, um, I learned a lot about the organization, and, and many of the mentors in that are retired manufacturers who are helping these young engineers in training complete projects like bringing water to a community in Africa that doesn't have it. So performing these engineering feats um, that they would not get to do in a classroom. Um, so there, it's a beautiful thing. Find a way to be of service in your retirement, and you'll be much happier. Well, I'd be much happier in Cape Cod than Africa. <laughs> you can do the radio show from Cape Cod. But I understand your point. Yes, we yeah. and we have. I've been up in Cape Cod, and we've done some of our shows uh, uh, from separate locations. Uh, and actually, part of uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio, which started as of November six years ago, uh, started as a, a spinoff uh, to drive more traffic to our All Metals and Forge Group uh, Forge Company. Uh, but then we found that, hmm, I, I think we're actually beginning to do something good for people who are in the manufacturing sector who don't necessarily have the time to uh, do all the investigative things that they need to do to keep their company healthy gro- healthy and growing and so on. So this is what our show has turned into, all 371 shows. Uh, including this one, uh, to uh, be able to um, supply benefits to uh, the manufacturing sector. And that's a beautiful thing. Anything that helps manufacturing in the United States is good for our entire nation and our entire economy. Um, uh, and thank you guys for all that you do. It's it's a what this turned into. Um, what you've done is is really a great service. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And that in the next thing we'll do, we'll look to make some money at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fran, just to kind of wrap things up, because there's one question that really hasn't been answered here yet. Um, what does the typical manufacturing business buyer look like? Oh, that's a great question. So generally speaking, you could put the manufacturing business buyers into three categories. You have larger strategics, um, so they're already in manufacturing and they're seeking to uh, increase their geographic range, increase their service offerings, get more skilled labor, or take out a competitor, right? 
then you have <laughs> <Right>. private <laughs> you have private equity companies um, who come in all shapes and sizes. Um, manufacturers that I speak to are very reluctant to engage them because they're feel fearful that um, a private equity is going to drain resources without adding value to a manufacturing company, ultimately causing its demise. And what I'll tell you is um, that's not necessarily true. They're not all created equal. Some are um, in the business of growing, keeping growing, um, and, and we've seen amazing things happen with private equities. However, um, one of the categories of buyer that we love dealing with the most and has been so active, um, not just in this current market, but in for the past few years, has been um, executives leaving corporate America for business ownership. And they're seeking manufacturing companies more than any other type of company. And it's... It, it's really, really interesting because retiring manufacturers, the function that is most often lacking in their organizations is a sales, marketing, and business development function. And often the why of that is on the approach to retirement, they're kind of just skating through on the way to retirement. They're not trying that hard. Um, many times because they just don't have to. They've built relationships over the years and the company is on autopilot. However, people coming out of um, corporate America who have worked for an organization, some of them have been involved in taking a company's sales from a few million to a few hundred million. Um, they've got some, they have some business development chops. They know what they're doing. They, it's such a great category of buyer to work for. They generally have a few million dollars saved. They're easily financeable. Their kids are out of college so they can move wherever they wish to to make the acquisition. Um, and it's, it, it's great for the retiring manufacturer because they'll build it, but generally speaking, they keep the company intact. Um, and they grow it. They respect the founder's legacy, but they double, triple, quadruple the size of the company. It's really a beautiful thing. And for those who don't sell their company or do sell their company and they're no longer wanting to work in a working environment, there's always the organization called SCORE, Senior Corps of Retired Executives. Are you familiar with that, Fran? I'm very familiar with that. It's a great organization. Tell us uh, about two minutes worth. Uh, okay. Well, I I personally don't work with them, um, I but I've I have had uh, clients who, um, over the course of their career, have gone to the SCORE organization to get um, advice on everything from. Um, sales, marketing, human resources issues. Um, so my understanding, Lou, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they have a variety of um, 
people in different fields that are acting as coaches and mentors to those still in business. So you can get almost anything that you need from that organization. Well, you're 100% right, and it's actually inexpensive for a manufacturer to um, uh, get services from SCORE because all you pay for is expenses. Uh, It's it's not a profit-motivated organization. So uh, when all else fails, there's always SCORE for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can go do that for a while. I'd make well, as I have much a funny feeling that you might retire from manufacturing, but I kind of doubt that you're going to retire anytime soon from manufacturing I, talk radio because you could do that from the beach, Lou. I could do that from anywhere. Actually, I was in uh, I was in uh, 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 Brazil. Tim was in Atlanta. Uh, we had a guest on from Washington and a guest on from California, and we had a 30, 40 minute conversation like we're having right now. And it was mm-hmm. from four different locations around the world. So, yes, you're wow. right. It could be from a beach. As long as it's not a windy day so that your microphone picks up the wind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fran, well, this, was, uh, this, this was terrific. I, I really appreciate your being on the show. And let's, uh, let's give us the uh, URL address contact information one more time uh, just for the late arrivals. Of course, thank you. So it's uh, www.acceleratedmfgbrokers.com. And for those of you who are familiar with hearing it on either the radio tele- or television, it's 908-387-1000. That's 908-387-1000. And they just repeat that over and over. But just listen to the show. <laughs> Fran, it's been, it's been great having you on. Thank you for joining us. You guys are an absolute delight, and thank you for all you do for manufacturing. Can we quote you? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Yep. Take care now. Bye-bye. And we're speaking with Fran Brunel, who's the president of Accelerated MFG Brokers, Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers. That's 908-387-1000 if you're interested (laughs) in calling your phone number. Lou, a great guest. Love chatting with Fran. I, I loved it. I had a great conversation with her prior to today's show. Uh, she's uh, really a very savvy individual, and uh, I may wind up giving her a call when I'm offline. Yeah, don't don't sell the company too soon so that they don't sponsor uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio. We that's, want to keep that into the. I, I got that. I got that. Okay. <laughs> All right, everyone. So thank you for listening. You can find all of our shows at mfgtalkradio.com. We can find our sister show, Women and Manufacturing. Also, click over to that website. There are some wonderful interviews with really skilled women in manufacturing who can give you their super insights on their career path. We have full time with Amy Nicholas on the show. A great show if you want to talk about economy, economics, what's happening in the kind of the undercurrent of manufacturing called Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman. We have some new shows coming up all at our website. And thank you for listening to this show of Manufacturing Talk Radio.
Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.